0: Pop the cork and fill your glass for the series premiere of Promised Land on ABC. This sexy, sun-drenched Sonoma-set drama tells the story of two intertwined but warring Latine families vying for land, power, and control over the ultra-competitive California wine business. It's the perfect blend of passion, seduction, and ambition. The American dream is intoxicating. Promised Land premieres Monday at 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hola, hola, mi gente. So we have a special treat today. We have Pedro Rod... I can't talk today. What the heck? Maybe because I haven't been talking all day. I've been working from home. Pedro Rodríguez. What? I can't... Can I say my name? Yañez? What's happening? I don't know what's going on. Pedro (laughs) Rodríguez. There we go. (laughs) That was the weirdest thing. And I haven't had anything to drink. Of Fatia Wines. And it's a special episode, though, Pedro, because... There's this new show on ABC that's about to come out called Promise Land about these Latine families, these wine families that have these wineries in Sonoma. Yeah, and I've, I've
1: it's heard like, of like You know,
0: like it's English tel- telenovela and everything, all of the things. And I was like, well, how could I not have a Sonoma winemaker on this episode talking about wine sponsored by ABC?
1: This is fantastic. So, <laughs> great opportunity and great timing.
0: So, welcome. Welcome to the Wine and Mate podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Jessica, for having me.
0: Apparently, I can't talk today, so forgive me in advance.
1: <laughs> no worries. No worries. It's all good.
0: I don't know. I don't know what's happening. See what happens when I only have to talk to my dog? <laughs> can't, can't say anything. So, before we get into the mate and hearing your story... We always start with the wine and you were gracious enough to send me three bottles of wine, which believe me, I can't wait to dive into the two, but I haven't had a rosé in so long that I decided to open up the rosé you sent me, which is a rosé of Pinot Noir from, it's a 2020 rosé of Pinot Noir from Russian River Valley. Yes, exactly. I am super excited. Wait, let me read the back because it's not just telling you what it is. It has a little story. Says the journey in pursuit of dreams is met with obstacles, challenges, and adventures. The hummingbird is a symbol of the strength and hope that one must hold. While it is vital to reflect on our past, we must persist and focus on our ultimate destination. Crafting Patia Wine is a realization of my vision. It is a story that is continuously evolving. It is my life's journey, Pedro Rodriguez. Yeah, Love so- that. Look at a little story and everything. Okay. So I'm going to smell it right now. And you can tell me what the things I'm saying, I'm thinking I'm smelling, is re- is what it is.
1: Nobody's ever wrong. There's thousands of chemical Right. It's always different, right? So.
0: Okay. Right away, I smell like some earthiness, like some grassy. Like that's literally the very first thing I smell.
1: Yeah. a little and minerality.
0: Then, huh? Yeah. The little minerality. Minerals. Yeah. And... Some like stone fruit and maybe some strawberry?
1: Oh, yeah. Strawberry from Pinot Noir is one of the more dominant aromatics.
0: Oh, this is good. Yeah, thank you. And it's not too... Okay, so my challenge always with Pinot Noirs is when they tend to be on the sweeter side. And so (sighs) I noticed that I do have friends that tend to like that. I shy away from it a bit, but this is not sweet.
1: Not at all. It's not intended from crafting it um it was originally going to be a dry wine and it is a dry wine it is
0: oh that's really good oh my gosh okay i'm really excited that i opened this because like i said i haven't had a rosé in a long time and this one is really good the um aldina vineyards one i liked a lot as well um the one from seis soles is good for p he didn't chris has you know, he's like, yes, it is a little bit sweeter. But I did notice if I let that one come down to more of a room temperature, it cuts the sweetness.
1: So yes, it's not that, as sweet. Uh, yeah. So it, it does happen. Usually any wine, when it's colder, it doesn't profound as much flavor or aromatics. When it's actually warmer though, it actually becomes sweeter. So that might be opposite what you expect.
0: That's so weird, yeah. Well, salud, but even though I already drank, there's my little <laughs> sound effect. This is super good. I'm, like, super excited about that.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's definitely one of our more popular wines. Rosé, as they say, all day. I said all year.
0: Right? It's not just Sunday rosé or all day rosé. It's all year (laughs) rosé.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) I could get behind it with this one, for sure.
1: Yeah, it's uh, one of our higher production wines. For this 2020 vintage, uh, we only produced a whopping 88 cases. And we've been, you know, really grateful that... Things have been going really well that we've just bottled our 2021 trying to stay up to date.
0: Wow. Now, normally I would drink all three wines because I have a Coravin, but my capsule ran out and I forgot to buy more. So I can't try them all. So I was like, just opening one. My be uh, good No though. worries.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is Friday. And it's five it o'clock is. somewhere, as they say
0: exactly somewhere it's five o'clock actually by the time in central time it's already five o'clock
1: exactly look at that <laughs> cheers to everyone salut, in central time, major time. I'll,
0: an, I'll have another drink to that <laughs> <laughs> i don't know there might be more than this gone before uh, the end of the, the before we finish talking no, <laughs> i may be pouring myself a little bit more so let me read your bio because I'm only going to part of it because I was like, oh my gosh, I could ask questions based on the rest of this because it was just so in depth. Pedro was born and raised in Michoacan, Mexico. He and his family immigrated to the U.S. when he was six years old. His dad worked nearly 30 years in the vineyards of Napa Valley and his three older brothers continued to be part of the wine industry in Napa and Sonoma. He has worked a total of 12 years in the wine industry and has worked for producers of Bordeaux and Burgundy Wines. In 2019, he and his wife Jenny acquired Fatia Wines and they continue to carry the torch for first-generation Mexican-American vintners. Yeah, I cut it down, but we are going to get to all the things because I was like, he's like, he's just giving me the blueprint to ask him all of these questions with his bio. (laughs) I love it. So let's start with, when you were in Mexico and being born in Mexico and coming to the States at such a young age, six years old is pretty, is like an age where you pretty much remember you have memories of those things. What, oh, yeah. what do you remember of that time of moving from Michoacan to the States? And was it directly to California or was it a different area?
1: Yeah. California. What I recall you know, I had just graduated kindergarten, so, you know, I was feeling pretty good. Yeah, I got my little promotion certificate, <laughs> uh, and I was just like a couple months into first grade, and I just remember my mom telling me, hey, um, say goodbye to your friends, we're going to be moving. And at that age, I thought, to a different house, maybe to a different town, but nearby. N- not that I would get up on a bus and then take us to the airport, get on a plane, which I never knew existed. Uh, I mean, there's hardly, I guess, in our mountainous region, there's hardly any planes that fly over. So I'm not really familiar with that. Next thing I know, I'm in a country that I look around and I just don't understand what people are saying. So it was a little bit of a shocking, uh, I guess, state of mind at that age. But then you realize, oh, well, my parents are here, my family's around here, so I think we'll figure it out. And that's just the beginning of it.
0: Did you have other family that lived here?
1: Yes. Um, at that point, this was, uh, now you're going to know the age, uh, back in 1991. So I'm from 85 people, yes. Uh, my uncles were living here, and that's how we end, ended up immigrating.
0: And you're the youngest of four boys?
1: A total of six.
0: A total of six.
1: So I also have two older sisters.
0: Oh, and you're the baby baby. I am. Ah, got it, I got it.
1: El Chiquito el peveño el Cuba. Um whatever they say it?
0: <laughs> so, did you, when your dad started working, did you guys directly move into the Napa, Sonoma area, or were you, did you kind of gradually get up there? Did you start in a different area?
1: So, my dad immigrated out here in the mid 80s. Uh, so, he worked his way throughout California, working uh, in different uh, districts, either vegetable, nuts, or, or now in the grape industry. And that's, I guess, when he realized that there was an opportunity for his family to grow here and find work. And that's when we all immigrated as a whole.
0: Okay. My grandpa used to work the fields here in San Diego, but he worked citrus the citrus fields, citrus and avocados. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I remember being a little kid and like, oh, can I pick some lemons to take home? Can I get some oranges to take home? Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so like these types of stories are just like, I find very... Near and dear because I remember my grandpa doing that. And I remember like all of those things in the big giant pallet box things where I would like climb over trying to pick the best things that I wanted. Right. Good,
1: good, good old days. (laughs)
0: Like good old days. Yeah. So at what point, because obviously your dad has been doing this for a really long time. And I know you talk about When you kind of got into it post high school, how you didn't really appreciate it. You were just kind of like whatever. Seeing what your dad did, was that the first job that you had was working with grapes or in any sort? Or were you trying to shy away from that growing up?
1: Not necessarily shying away from it, but I guess growing up and being an immigrant and understanding, I would say, just tough labor that um, my dad was enduring to I would say support us from my older brothers. They would say, well, go to school, do the best you can, get the best grades you can. So you don't do this. And my dad not really necessarily wouldn't say, you know, you don't want to do this, but it's, he would say it's tough work. And I guess being young, I would see his hands and be cracked and, and um, cut at points. And I would just say, well, what happened? He's like, Oh, it's part of work. He's like, you know, you, you focus on school and do what it will do the best you can. So it wasn't something that we were told to, you never want to do, but it's also something to say, you can find opportunities. And that's why we're in this country per se.
0: Do you say that like your first few years, you didn't appreciate what you were doing. You didn't really have an interest, but you were still working in it. How do you still end up working in the wine industry when you had zero interest you didn't really appreciate it. And your dad was like, you know, there's other things. Focus on these other things. Like, how does that still come together?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really something unexpected. So I was thinking uh, everyone's doing the same thing. It's a small town. You know, people are in the industry, are working in vineyards. I mean, there's really n- nothing else in this industry. That's what supports this, you know, wine country community. So I said, well, I'm going to, you know, go to school, you know, continue, you know go on, move on to college, but Since it's the wine industry, I'm going to work and I worked there for a total of five years. But like I mentioned, it wasn't something I was interested in. I just did it as a job to get a paycheck, but it didn't really catch my attention until I was a little older just seeing how my family's excitement that year after year, decade after decade, they're still, they still have dedication to this area. And then really it's a world renowned wine growing region. And to me, it was just like, how do they see that? But since I was young, I wasn't really drinking the wine because mm-hmm. um, my dad, at an early age, taught us to, you know, respect, you know, alcohol and just everything. And and all we were having sips at home, things like that. It wasn't necessarily a choice. I think for youngsters, when you're 21, you want to drink beer. You want to drink the hard stuff. You don't want to drink wine.
0: Yeah, so, you're not thinking of wine.
1: No. So although we we were tr- introduced to it, uh, it wasn't something that. I wanted to drink and until i was older i realized that you know this is really a great community and i'm i see that my my dad well now he's retired and my older brothers are just you know really proud of the the wine they produce because you know during get-togethers family parties uh they would always bring wines like check this wine i help this you know i make this or i help make this or etc and it was just that little competition with my family and my siblings and to me it just saw how much pride they had into being a part of that and i thinking well one day maybe i'll just make something but that wasn't really something i wanted to pursue then until i again was older about a decade later
0: so what was your first job in the wine industry
1: my first job uh was just i would say a cellar rep just learning everything the whole spectrum of winemaking making. You know, the it was, it was more of the, I would say, get the dust pan and, and broom and just clean around all the grapes that were squished <laughs> together at that point. That was the word I would use, squished together, which is now pressed. Um, uh, so it, it was just kind of, um, understanding the smells, aromas. I became the Greyhound. You know, the winemaker would be like, Hey, go around and smell the tanks. And I was like, okay. It's like, if you, if you, Think one smells like like um, nail polish. You let me know, and I was like, "Okay, that's weird. What do they put nail polish inside wine? You know, things like that." I did not understand, <laughs> but uh, I realized that that's um, you know uh, I would say a volatile city, which called the A. It's a bad sign <laughs> of wine, and that's when I just started training my nose, not even knowing that I was doing a job. I just thought, "What does it have to do with wine?"
0: That's so cool that you like had no idea that you were actually getting this training.
1: Yeah, You're, really. Like,
0: who you're, you're just thinking, okay, I'm just smelling for something that smells like nail polish. And now you would know that's not a good, I mean, I think most people would probably be like, I don't want my wine to smell like nail polish.
1: (laughs) Absolutely not.
0: (laughs) So you went into a different industry for a while, for quite a while before you decided to to return to wine. What did you decide to do? What else were you, when you went to college, what did you think you were going to do?
1: So I was uh, majoring in business uh, and during that time, I actually worked for uh, GE, General Electric, mm-hmm. and I ended up uh, working for the appliance division. So during that time, I'm thinking, okay, appliances, you know, refrigerators, washer, dryers. But then there was the more important, cool stuff like stoves, ranges. Right. And from there, I moved from the basic GE to their higher end appliances, which competes against like Wolf, Thermador, Viking. And their lineup is ge monogram so you know these big i think four foot wide stoves are like ten thousand dollars they're for the home so during these demonstrations it was hey look at what this stove can do and i was like oh well that's cool and we get to eat food and when there was food people brought in wine and i was like oh look at this is from where i'm from and they're like what are you doing here then you should be in, in into wine if you're from napa you should be in you know
0: It's almost like you're born into it, right?
1: Yeah, it was just kind of following me.
0: Even though you weren't born there.
1: (laughs) In a way, in a way. (laughs) Same land, uh, just just one that didn't uh, have, if it didn't have lines, it would be the same land, at least least America, America, as we would say.
0: Yeah, that's so funny. So then what was the straw that you were like, okay, you know what, I'm going to go back. Like, this is where I want to go. I want to, because I'm so curious as to, I feel like you were really trying to like not get into wine. And just it kept calling you back. And somehow, you know, I felt like you're just like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to try these other things. But wine ended up being your calling. So what was it that called you back?
1: Well, uh, particularly uh, a family uh, get together. So, you know, we we were having one of those. Now you're
0: making me hungry.
1: (laughs) It was just a few months before harvest. And uh, a couple of my older brothers, you know, they're really proud of the work they do. One of them's also um, a winemaker, and I think he was a winemaker then. yeah And um, yeah, we're just talking about all the hard work that goes into making wine, and and how much effort he's done from working alongside my dad, my two older brothers alongside my dad picking grapes, to now becoming you know a either a cellar master, which is right hand person to the winemaker, or the winemaker person. So just from hearing them and and how much commitment and pride they had, I realized that being the youngest of six, again, is that's what brought them, you know, pride and happiness. And really, for me to have the opportunity to have all the options in the world, and say, if this makes my family happy, maybe I should understand it a little bit better. So I got back into the wine industry after almost, what is a six, eight year absence.
0: So what would, when you got back in, what did you start doing at that point?
1: Well, at one point it was just kind of understand it better, go to school, so take some classes and just squ- between it. the
0: squish grapes anymore. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. And getting more hands-on experience and actually tasting, and now I can actually taste the, the post juice, which is uh, now has a little bit of alcohol because now I can taste it. Now I'm old over twenty-one now. So um, just tasting that and just kind of understanding the whole process of stages. And just over time, my curiosity, just picking up books, asking the winemakers, getting really focused onto it and just kind of turned into an idea and that idea into a vision and to a vision into, hey, I want to create my own wine, not only wine for a producer and become a winemaker like my old brother, but become the winemaker of my own wine brand.
0: That is such a big dream. And not even a dream for you now, it's reality. But I think people think like, "Oh my gosh, that's so huge. But I think so often we don't dream big enough. So the fact that you're like, oh yeah, I'll be able to do this. I love hearing that because so many of us, I feel like so many of us within our community, if we don't grow up with wine, we don't really like, wine is not in our household, right? I feel like a lot of people, if you grew up with wine, mostly if you grew up in the Napa, in areas that were producing wine our family gatherings were tequila and beer and
1: <laughs> oh yeah
0: that stuff it was not wine and if my mom had wine in her house I'm not joking back in the day when I was a kid it was like the wine coolers right wine coolers or yeah. the Franzia boxed wine
1: oh yeah now yeah, my that, mom doesn't that, drink wine <laughs> that, that's something too that I recall you know being young it was the beer and the tequila but there was always wine. The wine wasn't open as much. A lot of family members, you know, extended family, uncles, cousins, things like that, aunts, they weren't uh, really consuming wine. And even, although we all lived in the same area, lived in the, the either Napa or Sonoma, we lived in wine country, and they were just consuming it. They're just like, no, it doesn't taste good. They don't have appreciation for it. Fast forward, let's say now fifteen, twenty years since then. Um, I think most fifty percent of my family drinks wine as hey, you are working to come over to a, a gathering, they bring wine. They don't really necessarily bring beer or tequila. And not only that, I think tequila we hardly drink. And being from Michoacan, it's still one of the regions where they can grow blue agave and make it and call it tequila instead of uh, just blue agave. So, um, you know, in, in a sense, it becomes part of now our, my family's culture. To drink wine. And not only that, but it's always studying the wine. It's not just, oh, this is good. It's, what is this habit? I wonder what they did to craft it. It's just trying to understand more in the chemistry and talking about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you were learning about it, you said you went to school as well. Did you end up changing from business into, is it horticulture? Is that what it would be? Or, but I don't know.
1: So it's just uh, understanding viticulture, uh, winemaking. I was going to say bit bit viticulture. Dang
0: and I should have said it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So understanding uh, viticulture is just uh, you know, understanding the vines, the process from pruning to thinning to harvesting per se, the whole process, and then obviously wine making is it, receiving the grapes and what to do with them and the fermentation and so on.
0: And so fast forward to 2019, and you're married. And wait, at what point did you like tell your wife, maybe then your girlfriend, that you're like, look, I want to have my own wine, and Was she like, oh, cool. I think that's awesome. Let's do it. Or was it something you had to kind of coax somebody and like, that's a lot of work. Oh, really? You want to do that? How did that come together? Because I'm sure starting a business is already a challenging, is already a challenging thing. And then you add like when it's not just you and you add partners or you add, whether it's partners in relationship or just business partners or anything that can add layers of complications, so was that something that you were easily able to share with her and she was instantly on board? Or was that something that you had to kind of in regards to just teaching her about the wine business and then her saying, oh, yeah, let's do this?
1: So my wife, Jenny, she was born and raised in Colombia and actually in her, they say Departamento, but here in the United States, we say Estado. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in her Departamento, they actually is a gentleman who was one of the first producers of wine in Colombia. So we actually met when she came to visit Napa Valley. Really? And yeah. Yeah. And just from that own curiosity, we just always stayed in touch. Uh, and next thing you know, over the years, we, I guess, got to know each other better. She uh, found a job here and that's when we started dating. And then when well, we that it, what, do we, what would you want to do and from i guess from doing that we ended up getting married but we always had that little idea of this is what brought us you know my my family brought me here and you came here because you have a passion for it and an understanding and then like i said in 2019 you know not knowing what was going to come around the corner in, in early 2020 with the pandemic uh, we decided to dive in and we have acquired the brand fathia wines and fathia is an arabic word uh, that means victorious and at, at that point I guess what we always thought is it's an idea. And I guess coming from a country to the U.S., a lot of people cross out that it's not the land of opportunities anymore. There's still not a possibility. I, I still think it is. You just have to work a little harder, per se. But um, I think that was the initial just an idea of let's 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 do it. But um, when we acquire it, when we acquired it is I guess partly it goes a little bit back a native of Sonoma, also a Mexican American. uh, uh, They founded the company in 2014 and unfortunately they couldn't continue this project. So through the grapevine, you probably heard this song many times, a vineyard manager knew a vineyard manager that knew us and said, Hey, we know someone that's selling and someone that's wanting to start a brand. So my wife and I conversed over it and said, well, we can start, You know with this one with our own logo and our own brand or we can acquire the brand and merge it with our own logo and we saw it was actually very fitting um so we acquired uh like i said the brand and then in october of 2019 not knowing what was going to happen but that's only been you know the tip of the iceberg of what we're at now
0: oh my gosh so in october of 2019 you acquired the brand wine break Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese men. Pop the cork and fill your glass for the series premiere of Promised Land on ABC. This sexy, sun drenched Sonoma set drama tells the story of two intertwined but warring Latine families vying for land, power, and control over the ultra competitive California wine business. It's the perfect blend of passion, seduction, and ambition. The American dream is intoxicating. From Slam premieres Monday at 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I know alcohol sales went crazy and everything during this, which we're not fully out of yet, but during the whole bulk of it, but you're still trying to launch, get your name, like kind of, I mean, I'm sure the name was out there a little bit, but you're trying to establish yourselves as the brand. How did that work, right? (laughs) Like going through this whole... I call it the pandulce. Like try and find something else.
1: Oh, well, how was did much, that work? It was much tougher than we expected. We thought, oh well, it, it it'll be okay. You know, we're both Latinos, and you know, in a sense, it'll you know have a nice swift conversion over. But uh, didn't really know that uh, when we acquired it that first month in October of 2019, there was a fairly large fire here in Sonoma County. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think it burned over 77,000 acres. And the problem with that was there was no power. So we do have a little taste room um, in Kenwood, which is the heart of Sonoma Valley. And we didn't have power for two weeks. So that means we can only offer one red wine. Well, the white wine, well, unless you want it warm, because all the delis, all the stores, they had no ice because everybody was taking ice to keep the refrigerators cold. So that was kind of the beginning of who is this person and you're not who we thought you are. And now you're only offering one wine. And not only that, the few people that were outside, you know, trying the wine because inside the tasting room, it was kind of a little smoky. Well, there was ashes outside. So ashes falling on inside your red wine glass was not the prettiest sight.
0: Oh, my God. And that
1: was within the first month.
0: Oh my! So they already they already had the tasting room, so you were able to acquire the tasting room as well? Or did you open it during that time?
1: No, it, I ended up just transferring.
0: Oh my gosh, that is,
1: talk but about during, brutal. Yeah, but during that time, I would say it took several months for it to happen. Everyone thought, oh, I thought you guys were closed permanently. There was no, no one was answering the phones. And basically the brand went down to who even knew you exist. Because as I went around, they're like, no, we never heard of you. No, we never even neighbors are like, wow, it's I knew they were small. And as I mentioned, now we're at a whopping 500 cases. But we started with 250 cases uh, and it was you know really small. and, And I would say it was just a challenge to say the least.
0: Wow. And what are the things that you did during like to kind of overcome that? Because obviously you have the fire. And then in March of 2020, just a few months later, now we have we're in the middle of this pandemic places are closing places are that you know like how did you get through that in such a god like especially being brand new and not and i just I, I just how just how because
1: <laughs> i don't even I know really, how i really to exploit, i really i
0: don't I know. even know how to ask the question except how
1: <laughs> well things got a little bit better let's say um End of the year things were looking good people were like oh, okay we, we've had a couple of the wines all at that point all i had was two wines which is a cabernet uh that carried over and the sauvignon blanc that i produced and people were like oh I'm liking these wines great so in february of 2020 i produced my first rosé of pinot noir so and then a moscato so i said great now i have four wines so things were looking good uh and about three weeks after next thing i know my neighbor comes over and says hey pedro we have to shut down i said what do you mean we have to shut down it's like the governor said uh because of this virus i don't even know what it's called well now we all know what it's called Mm -hmm. uh is we have to shut down immediately and i said what that was march 15th as we all may recall that date in particular and next thing you know how do you adjust and i'm thinking oh it's going to be a couple weeks a couple months and things will reopen. It's not going to be that bad. Well, first, let me take a sip of wine because no, no, no. <laughs> I'll take one with gonna, you.
0: <laughs> Definitely calls for a sip of wine. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, refresh the pal a little bit. And well, really, then was what? What, what am I going to do? You know, uh, me and my wife are thinking of ideas. They're like, okay, well, we're closed, but I'm sure we can still, you know, go online. Hopefully, the internet doesn't crash or something else happens. And next thing I know is, well that was something we were not prepared for you know five six months taking over Mm -hmm. i mean it was already just kind of understanding the whole system of you know point of sale system the website the whole nine design the the, you know a little bit of the label and and the whole on it was what are we going to do and i thought well again it'll be over within a month as we know that hasn't happened two years later um so during that summer um again i guess just becoming my what what is this i forget the side of the brain which is the more creative side of the brain i said how am i going to get to this so i said well here i am i'm not i'm, I'm going to be like like the notero man i'm going to go up and down the streets knock on I'll knock on my neighbor's door and be like hi guys my name's pedro i'm a small winemaker just started six months ago. So i have some wine would you be interested So
0: you're the wine yeah,
1: exactly <laughs> Yeah. And some of them were very supportive and said, oh, this is some great stuff. And little by little, they ended up introducing that into their friends and just call him and say, hey, you know, you should try this wine. He's doing free deliveries here uh, in town. And next day I know someone says, hey, I know a restaurant owner who might be interested in this. You know, if he wants to support you know, the small producers. And uh, I went up and tried because uh, at that point, restaurants, it was really tough. So as you know, restaurants were closed, so they weren't offering indoor seating. It was food to go, mm-hmm. and not only that, but people were not going to go and say, "Hey, let me buy a bottle of wine if that's a hundred dollars." So people wanted to uh, look for wine that was a little bit more affordable, yeah, somewhere in the twenty to forty dollar range, something that was still enjoyable. Because one is, well, they're staying at home, they have to deal with the kids, maybe long days of I can't connect to the internet, and that was before that. And other people were like, "What if I don't have a job?" What if they cut me next? So people didn't want to spend a lot of money. And uh, that's where we came in and they said, oh, well, this is some great wine. You're a small brand. And really, we want to support the local community and just go in different places and, and, and going as far as to places where I would say I was not making a profit. I was getting my wine out there. I said, it doesn't matter. As long as people taste the wine, I know they'll enjoy it. And little by little, just people started calling me and say, hey, not only do I want to get a, the two bottles you're selling, I want to get a case. Let me get, you know, six bottles here, six bottles there. And I've stayed current until to this day.
0: Wow. Literally, you went pounding the pavement.
1: Yeah. We'll, walk around, we'll knock on doors and anywhere and everything. People were like, I've heard of you guys, you know, but I don't know. I'm like, where did you hear from us? Because I am it. My wife still has a full-time job working for another winery. So I'm the only member per se. I'm the only employee. So if it wasn't me offering the tastings, I was even out front outside my house here, had a little table and had like little small plastic cups and had (laughs) had tastings and said, hey, uh, what, what if the police officer or sheriff comes by and shuts me down? I'm like, well, I do have a liquor license. I just say, it's a pandemic. I can't leave my house. And what am I supposed to do? So there some neighbor, neighbors, even the area that I didn't answer the door or were not even from the area, they were just walking from blocks away. They're like, this is some good stuff. I'll take a bottle. So, the, I mean, Look at that you. was really It's way. like
0: your own little lemonade stand with wine.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, well, this is, you know, little, but you can't drink it. here. You just have to take it with you. Yeah. But uh, it was kind of like a neighbor in... Here's a little shot of wine, per se, but it wasn't a shot, it was a sip of wine. And mm-hmm. yeah, just little by little, people were really, I guess, extremely nice. At that moment, it was just surreal. Like, is this happening? Like, w- what is going on? And because during that time, I would say those months, I just thought, what did we get into? Yeah. And my wife's like, we shouldn't have done this. We shouldn't have done this. Why did we get into this? Why did we bottle the wine? We knew this was happening and we didn't think it was going to go up to this level where, you know, wearing masks and this thing. I know even at these restaurants, it was kind of funny, you know, they, I guess that nice, let's say, plate of salmon or something. Here I am offering a wine and it's a go cup with a lid. And th- and this is before even had a, a straw insert. This was a solid lid. Oh, dang. Like, yeah. And it was like, this is your wine. And they're like, oh, Okay. And that's that's not even them trying it. That was just kind of the confidence of like, yeah, we'll, we'll take we'll take a glass of rosé in that uh, little pixie or what is it Dixie the brand Dixie the brand cup. Dixie cup with a lid. It's like yeah, we'll <laughs> take it. Sure, we just need it. So, but well, the wonderful thing was I gave them a business card, and from those people I ended up receiving the call and saying hey yeah, we'll take a bottle, and we'll take this, and um, you know, and and really throughout the whole pandemic because during the uh, year twenty twenty. For those nine months from March till the end of December, I think in Sonoma County, we're hit the hardest. Uh, Unfortunately, um, a lot of, uh, well, according to the news, it was that a lot of the farm workers were impacted by COVID. So that unfortunately shut down the entire county and our taste room was shut down for six out of those nine months. So meaning you're not operating the period. And that unfortunately part of that, yeah, you used, to, you used to have to pay rent and there was this called triple P payment protection program, but because we were so young, uh, we couldn't apply for, for that loan. So I told my wife, I quit my job, you know, in 2019 and to put all my time and effort into this project. And like I mentioned, there was have to be ways to make this through. And this was, was one of them, just the white notero. If you want to call as you said, <laughs>
0: Yeah, a new name for it, a wine otero. <laughs> that is, first of all, so brave because so many people would just instantly go give up, see if they can get their old job back, see what else they could do. The faith that you have in your wine and in yourself, because really it's faith in yourself that allows you to keep doing something like that. That is really rad, I must say, to be Thank able you. to to do that. Because I think a lot of people would probably give up or not know what to do or throw their hands in the air. And especially you don't qualify for those PPP loans. And there's just a, that's just a lot. So let me, okay, salud to you. There's another, there, salud to you. <laughs> Gracias. <laughs> I told, I'm almost done. I told you I'll probably end up pouring another one. <laughs>
1: hey, you enjoy it.
0: Well, now you have six wines. You have a Sauvignon Blanc. Rose of Pinot Noir, Cabernet, or Cabernet Sauvignon, let me say the whole thing in case people don't know. Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Moscato. Correct. The Moscato hasn't officially come out yet, correct?
1: So the last vintage is sold out. The 2021 will be released uh, next month in February for Valentine's Day. And the way we craft that Moscato is not your. I would say your typical Moscato. It's got a little bit of sweetness, but we call it, we say semi-sweet. So, or Yeah, or the normally word... I'm
0: not a Moscato person because it is too sweet for me.
1: Yeah, the word we use is empalagoso. It's like it's too thick, too syrupy. Yeah. Uh, this one, no. You can still get those classic attributes of a Moscato that's sown for white peach. Uh, but it's not so powerful that you're like, people that don't like sweet wine, they're not going to have another sip. But people that do like sweet wine, they're like, this is still good. But mm-hmm. rather than having a glass... Not going to judge them, but they might enjoy a bottle.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't even normally, I wouldn't even be able to enjoy a full glass of Moscato. It would be like, yeah. I don't know. But I do have a sparkling Moscato that I haven't opened yet. Oh, that's that interesting. I'm re- yeah, it's actually from another Latino winery, but in New York called RGNY. Mm-hmm. And they're out of Long Island in New York. It's the only Latino winery that I've found on the East Coast.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard of many on basically the East Coast, all around from New York to Florida. I haven't really heard anything.
0: So there's one in New York. There's one in Texas. The one in Texas is there. The one of the owners is from Argentina, and then but majority is you know California. Obviously, you have the Oregon, the Willamette Valley region in Oregon, and then there's one in Washington. Right out of Walla Walla, Washington. Exactly. Yeah,
1: love that name. Um so, yeah, yeah that, and that, I that, can't that, pronounce the
0: name of the wine, and I need to pronounce it, and it's but it's I think like an indigenous name. Oh, uh-huh. it's like H O Q U. I don't. I'm not. I can't remember. <laughs> but it's on the directory, like you are. There
1: you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, like ours. Like I said, well, as I mentioned, it's an Arabic word, and people say, "Ask me, are you Arabic?" Like. How how did you come up with the name? And although uh, we adopted it, it's still part of our history. And when I say part of our history, people don't really get into that uh, and say, OK, I'm from Mexico, probably have either, I would say, Native American blood and Spanish blood. I said, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to go a little bit further back into history. If you understand and a lot of people know about history, they knows that the Moors from North Africa uh, went into Spain and I think conquered them for about 700 years, something like that. So, and then obviously those Spanish people in the 16th century, they ended up coming to what we know as the Americas now, and the particular country of what we know as Mexico now. And that's where my family's from. So really it's kind of a mixture of cultures and identities. Oh so, yeah,
0: we're Mets, total Mets.
1: Yeah, so the, the, the word, Fati again, is Arabic, but mm. our logo being the hummingbird. Are you familiar with the hummingbird? Um,
0: a little bit. I have another, I know somebody else who's a DJ who his logo is a hummingbird and he's always talking about it. So I didn't really start. Honestly, I never really paid much attention to the meaning of the hummingbird. I would admire the beauty of the hummingbird and like they constantly have to be in motion, um, but not a lot. So please share like why the hummingbird.
1: Yeah, so both uh in Mexico and in my wife's country of birth, Colombia, you now the native birds are indigenous. Uh, they're actually indigenous to the Americas. So they migrate from the tip of Chile actually all the way to Alaska. Oh wow. Not this, not not the same species or the same bird, but they're found throughout the entire Americas. Um but itself, most people in I would say Mexican nationalism, if you want to call it, they've always say, like I'm a proud Aztec. Or, or I come from the Mayas. Well, in my region in Michoacan, uh, there's another native tribe. They're called Purépecha. Wait, say so that uh, one time? Purépecha. They're situated in a in town called Pazcuano, and there's a little island called they There's actually found on, there are the fishermen that are found, I think, uh, I forget on what Mexican uh, dollar bill, or peso, excuse me. They're featured there, but what's special about them is that uh, they were actually never conquered by the mighty Aztec during this entire time. Um, And something that they displayed on the shield was a hummingbird, because uh, to them, it showed them it was going to protect them. And and it it gave them bravery, hope, and um, I would say, agility. So one thing to us, it represents who we are as the small wine producers, again, migrating. Again, hummingbirds migrate as my family immigrated. And we are now here at this stage. And I think in the future, I don't know. I don't say I'm going to be and and grow my roots here forever, wherever life's journey takes me. But the hummingbird is, is a symbol of hope and strength. And it's not, it's not hope as a, um, I would say just a mental, it's spiritual and physical Mm -hmm. Uh, and same thing for strength because you have to learn to adapt. And this circumstance was starting this wine brand, not knowing this was going to happen. But that's kind of how I adopted because here I am at home pondering, what am I gonna do? As I said, most people might think, I guess maybe I can ask for my job back. Maybe I can just sell this. And even if as as a wine bulk and give up, I said, no, I can't. And there was that little bird that would come to pick the nectar. I have a couple um, citrus trees in my backyard. And my mom always been a fan of flowers. These hummingbirds would come and visit them. So I've always been you know, enamored by them. And I was thinking, like, look at them. They just move around. They constantly have to feed every day to stay alive. That's us. That's who we are. And that's why we originally picked them. And that's kind of what gave me the strength to continue.
0: That is, I mean, when you were saying that, I was thinking, Guy, what an appropriate symbol for everything that you have gone through over the last couple of years. I mean, talk about resilience and talk about hope and strength and the strength, mental strength that you have to have to continue to go and not give up. That is, talk about everything really be, you, I swear, like just everything that I'm hearing from how you tried to get away from wine, you wanted to appreciate it, how you met your wife, like wine, you were meant for this, for sure. Okay, but you were like the seriously- stars lined up.
1: huh? The stars must have lined up.
0: Absolutely. I swear, like this was all meant to be. That's so crazy. You talk about your, let me, I want to just talk about some of the wines really quick, that they're all single varietal, varietal meaning the same, but they're not necessarily the same year or is the same grape the same year?
1: So vintage is the same year. It's Mm -hmm. basically when the grapes were harvested and varietal is the type of grape. Right. So All our wines are single varietal, meaning none of them are mixed. So, for example, our Cabernet Sauvignon, it's 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. Some people don't even know this, but there are some regulations that as long as 75% of a grape uh, is in that wine, it can still be called Cabernet, and the other 25% could be Merlot. And that's sometimes what people don't understand. Well, I like this one better, but why is this one more expensive? Well, because it's 100% Cabernet. 100% Cabernet, typically the grape is more expensive than growing Merlot. And not only that, but I wanted to craft these single varietal wines to show, I would say, the, the full expression of the vintage or the year that Mother Nature gave us. Because really, uh, I would say 90% of the wine is made in the vineyards. And again, going back to the appreciation of you know, what my dad did for nearly 30 years, you know, the, all that hard work and effort.
0: You also talk about in regards to how you like you do minimal intervention during the winemaking process. So what are the things that you try to make sure are done or not done to get like you were stating the full expression of the grape before as as you ferment it and bottle it and everything like that?
1: Yeah. So, for example, on the rosé that you're tasting now, uh, I specifically uh, go to the vineyard, taste the berry. Uh, to make sure it has the right flavor and right amount in the city. So I harvest it with the intention to make a rosé. So some people don't know that there's actually three ways of making rosé. So one is this, which is, I would say, the standard method. So you specifically harvest the grape to make it. The other one is called uh, saunier, which is a French word means Bleed, so they they harvest the grape to make a red wine, and then to make that red wine more structured, they bleed a little bit of that juice and put that in a separate tank, and that byproduct per se becomes a rosé. So it's not intentional. So it sounds fancy, like oh, this is a Sonier rosé, and you're like, ooh, I like it already, but not knowing it wasn't intentional, it was kind of a I have excess juice, and let's make rosé out of it. And last <laughs> but not really least nice. is when you see those inexpensive wines, usually there's Big producers have a lot of white wine and a little bit of red wine and they say, eh, let's mix them together and let's call it a rosé. That's how it is. So this particular one, I go to the vineyard, I taste the beer and say, OK, this is, has right fruit, the right amount of acidity. And that's what the acidity translates to the mouth watering that causes in our palate saying, oh, I want more. I want more of it.
0: Well, obviously, and, I want more because I poured myself some more. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and and then the minimal intervention with uh, native fermentation means so wild fermentation, native fermentation, indigenous fermentation—it's all the same. So what it is is there is yeast that's found in the vineyard, more and more in the cellar that ends up converting those sugars into the ethanol, producing the CO two and alcohol, uh, and it naturally occurs. But what some Producers, they'll actually go into a laboratory and buy a cultured yeast, something that's man-made and they'll end up overpowering the native fermentation or the native yeast, excuse me, finishing the fermentation. But you can almost be selective. They ask you, well, what are you producing? And say, oh, I'm making a rosé. What grape? Pinot Noir. Well, we have this strain yeast, this strain yeast. What flavors and aromatics do you want? And I think that's, I wouldn't necessarily say cheating, but I think that's easier. And in this way, it's a little bit more complicated, but to me, the results are more important. And in, in our aspect, again, having the hummingbird as our logo to signify minimal impact on the environment, in this case, is crapping wine that's uh, it's more natural.
0: Got it. So how do you know what's going to be natural or not, like in a more natural way versus not?
1: Sometimes it's the outcome of the wine. So some people, they'll make more adjustments in the wine to find that balance. But I think if you focus on it from the get-go, from harvesting at the right date and with the intention of making the wine and let it, letting it do its own thing naturally, it'll just taste better. And, and and that's where I've heard a lot of people say, I've had a lot of this wine or I've had, had a lot of that one, but yours is just over the top. What is it about it? And I say, it could be from the vineyard, it can be the native fermentation, it could be the way it was handled. There's a lot of things, but I think a lot has to do with native fermentation.
0: And I have a question in regards to the cork. Yeah. So how do you choose your cork? Because this is not a natural cork, correct? Correct. So how do you choose this type of cork versus a natural cork?
1: So the natural cork, for example, is used more in red wines or Mm -hmm. uh, because natural cork uh, is porous. So it allows the microns of the oxygen to go into the bottle and that ends up aging it. Mm -hmm. For white wine, or in this case, a rosé, which is considered a white wine, it's something that you would drink within the first three years. We can use what you have as a synthetic cork. So that, obviously, it doesn't allow any oxygen to go inside the wine. But even within our packaging, again, minimal impact environment, as I mentioned, our glass that we use is partly recycled. That synthetic cork is also fully recyclable
0: oh, and awesome. our entire packaging. No, that's such a huge thing because I'm trying to figure out. I, I know that there's been a cork shortage and people tend to collect their corks, which is fine and everything, but I'm starting to get quite the collection, but I was trying to figure out what to do with them because so they can be recycled, right? Because there's a cork shortage and I have all these corks and how many people have like all these corks and they're not doing anything with them. I personally would rather find a place where I can give those corks back and they can be reprocessed and re-whatever to be used again versus is that even possible do you know
1: usually not sometimes because as you break them i don't know if they can be roost that's a fantastic idea because yeah i mean the natural cork does come from trees and they're usually uh, imported from the iberian peninsula meaning portugal spain and obviously i'm sure they're at least i'm hoping they're replanting those trees over time but i mean they are cutting them down to use a natural cork
0: did I just come up with a million dollar idea? Do we need you to this out? do you we need could've. to go into business if, together if, now if, Pedro if
1: there isn't if hey, I'd love to get into it if there is nobody out there that's a fantastic idea
0: Because <laughs> I mean hello let's do it. Let's figure it out. let's figure out the logistics. Yeah. let's do it. <laughs>
1: yeah there, there's a lot of things with obviously the natural fork obviously it's natural and, and we would just have to find a method to replicate it which is a tough part.
0: Well then you have to wash it because you have all of the wine that still like gets absorbed into what the end of the cork and
1: Yeah, we're that. gonna have to get a lot into look into that a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we need to cut this part out of the out yeah, of the podcast nobody knows. Nobody heard. Nobody heard. <laughs> okay, outside of Fatia Wines, what are your favorite what are some of your favorite wine brands?
1: Really? Um well I worked where i learned to craft our pinot noir which is by far my favorite red wine i worked for a winery called patson hall and that's where i learned alongside the winemaker fantastic um, teacher to you know help me better understand the formula of pinot noir and chardonnay mm-hmm. uh, they craft about a dozen different wines and, and that just shows the consistency because a lot of uh, wineries they every once in a while either a winemaker leaves or uh they switch winemakers when it's a corporate, but the consistency in those wines have been very similar for the last thirty years. So one of my favorites is there. Another one that I also like, um, this that one's in Sonoma. I would say Buena Vista is also a great winery. It's one of the oldest uh, wineries in this region. I really? think it started it was in the eighteen fifties. I think as soon as California became a state. Wow. Yeah.
0: So I will say this, obviously I've been so fortunate to try so many wines from the Latine vintners from, you know, that's why when I first started the podcast, I was going out and and buying wine and I'm like, why am I advertising this wine that I can get anywhere that anybody can get anywhere? And then I started thinking like, are there Latino vintners? Like there has to be, right? There has to be. So that's kind of what started, like I started my research and I Got a hold of Mava, and I actually had dinner when I drove through Napa and had dinner with them. And they been everybody's been so nice. And then starting these virtual wine tastings, and then I knew I wanted to do this directory, very because there was I found a black wine directory. Obviously, there's like a general wine directory, but I was like, no, there, I could not find anything with Latino owned wineries. And if I did, it was the same, like, 20 wineries on every list.
1: <laughs> You're right.
0: And I was like, there has to be more. So I, that's when I kind of started doing my digging and started asking. And then people were like, oh, yeah, there's this one. Or, oh, how do you feel? Like, I've felt just as I've been getting to know so many of the vintners within the Latine community, everybody's been so welcoming and so open how do you feel about the competitiveness within the wine industry particularly with other latino wineries
1: really um i wouldn't say competition i would just say it should be supportive and that's Mm -hmm. the way i to agree because there are even young brands that are that started even as late as 2021 last year Mm -hmm. Uh, and they say you know i'm also starting you know i have 50 cases under my name what can i do with it and rather than saying Oh, you should have seen all the type of work I did. I'm not going to tell you. It's like, well, here, this is what you can do. You need to present this. You need to have this website. You need. To, this is the POS system I use. It, it might be.
0: And tell them to reach out period. to me if they're Latino-owned wineries. They yeah. reach out to me to get on the directory.
1: Of course, yeah, they're they're really small, so they don't have a taste room yet, but they exist. And but yeah, I will definitely let them know uh, to reach out to you because yeah, there are. I would say. Since I got into this industry in 2019, I think there's been at least another, at least brands that I didn't even know existed. Probably in the last two years, I would say six, eight brands have started here in Sonoma.
0: Wow. I love hearing that because that's what I've felt on my end. But I'm not like, I'm kind of on the, I'm in wine, but I'm not a winery owner or anything like that. It's just been become a passion of mine to highlight you guys. Thank you. Um, because I think it's so needed. And, you know, as as a Latina, I feel like if I'm gonna spend my money, like there's enough money to go around. I wanna spend it at brown and black wineries to be perfectly honest. I'll get, I'll try other things. I wanna try all kinds of things. But if I am not supporting my people, then how can I expect others, right? Like, and there's so many people that don't even know that there are all of these. So I was, and I don't know if you know that this number but like i was doing my research and all this and there's over eleven thousand wineries in the us oh. and less than 100 maybe it's around 100 now but it's let what that ends up being what point zero one or point zero zero one percent are owned by latinos
1: yeah yeah 92
0: percent of agricultural workers are latino
1: that's probably more accurate than mine normally when people ask me it's like how did you get into it and uh i say uh, well, just again to get a little bit of feedback, I say over ninety-five percent of people in the, at least here in Napa and Sonoma, I feel are of Latino or you know Hispanic ethnicity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I say, as far as wineries, they say, oh well, there's not a lot of Latino or you know, they generally I guess nationality, say Mexican or Mexican American. I said, I think there's about 12, 1,300 wineries between Napa and Sonoma, just as a, as a local uh, or regional. And I said, probably, maybe there's 50 brands, but out of those 50 brands, maybe only 20 of us, including ourselves, have a tasting room. Yeah. And when you think of it, it's a very low percentage.
0: Many, yeah, a lot of people just, they sell their wine online and they don't necessarily have a tasting room. But still, it's still important to share all of them. So share about your tasting room information. How can yes, people yes. see you guys? Where are you guys located? And your website, social media?
1: Yeah, so uh, our website is www.fathiawines. That's F-A-T-H-I-A. I don't know if you can see that it's backwards though. <laughs> um, and we have a taste room at eighty nine ten Ken and excuse me eighty nine ten Sonoma Highway. As you can see, I just got back. Uh, so in Kenwood, we have a tasting room. Uh, but we're going to be moving to a new location later in early spring to a new location and offer just a more enhanced experience. But yes, uh, taste room hours usually Friday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. with the exception of they may a little window. But if not, if you're here any other time during that time, you can just reach out to us. You can give us a call: 707-282-9419. And if you just want to. Follow us either on social media, Instagram, Facebook. It's, it's Fatia Wines. It's continuously one word. Fatia wines. What the <laughs> best.
0: <laughs> yes. And I, I you know, I really need to make a I need to make another trip. It's been over a year since I've been over. It's been a like year and a half since I've been in I was in Napa. I haven't not like been in Sonoma, but I need to like literally make my way up there for a weekend next year. I really really want to do a harvest. Like I really want to work. Yeah. I like so bad, want to work a harvest. And it just, it makes me like so excited to hear all of these stories because it just, when I was asking people if they knew, like nine out of 10 people had no idea that there was Latino wineries. Wow. And that's when I was like, okay, I need to do something. Like if nobody's going to do it, then I'll do it. (laughs) That's kind of how I felt.
1: That was also a reason of why I got into this industry is because the representation is not there Mm -hmm. Um, and people, like I said, there are probably three or four brands that are, I would say larger started in the eighties or nineties here in California, but the rest of us are not even known that we exist. So I said, well, I'm going to be one of those people and jump and say, I'm going to give it a shot. And then again, to put Nuestra Gente in El Mapa.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Pedro, I want to respect your time and keep drinking your wine.
1: (laughs) You enjoy it. Like I said, it's Friday and Uh, that's what I'm about to do myself.
0: Yes. So, mi gente, go make sure to check out the wines. I will say myself, you guys have heard me. If you've heard any of my previous episodes, you've heard me say I'm not a big, like, I just don't have a big sweet tooth. So that's why I'm not a big fan of sweet wines. It's because I don't have a sweet tooth. I would rather have popcorn with hot sauce and Parmesan cheese than anything else. <laughs> right. And wine. Of um, course. Than this. But this rosé of Pinot Noir is really, really good. It's dry. It's not sweet. If you or somebody like me and want to try something different, make sure to try it. And until next time, mi gente, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine & Cheese Me podcast. For more information on today's guest, Please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and cheesement on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at thewineandchisme on Instagram and at thewineandchismepodcast Remember, if you want to hear more wine and cheese please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos. Pop the cork and fill your glass for the series premiere of Promised Land on ABC. This sexy, sun-drenched Sonoma-set drama tells the story of two intertwined but warring Latine families vying for land, power, and power and control over the ultra-competitive California wine business. It's the perfect blend of passion, seduction, and ambition. The American dream is intoxicating. Farmer Slam premieres Monday at 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu.